Hey, everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. Today, we talk with state Senate candidate Ingrid Anderson. She is a Democrat who is challenging Senator Mark Mullet in the 5th Legislative District. That is all ahead, so stay with us. Ingrid Anderson is a former ER nurse and is currently completing her master's to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She is also vice chair of the Washington State Nurses Association Political Action Committee Board, and she has recently announced her run for state senate in the 5th Legislative District, which includes Black Diamond, Maple Valley, Issaquah, North Bend, Carnation, Snoqualmie, and parts of Enumclaw and Renton. Hey, Ingrid, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, before we talk about the launch of your campaign, I just want to kind of get some thoughts from you as a healthcare professional. Just can you give us an idea of what you have seen and heard in the fight against COVID here in Western Washington? Sure, I'd love to. So, both myself and my husband work in healthcare. My husband's a respiratory therapist and I'm a nurse. And so we have heard and seen many different things relating to COVID. Uh, I do have to say thank you for everybody who is staying home to flatten the curve. Uh, this week and the data that we're looking at, we have started to see a decrease in the amount of cases that we're seeing coming in. Yeah, it's really However, encouraging. It is. It is really good. Um, it is not a time to get uh, complacent, though. We still need to stay at home at this time to keep that trend going. We. It, it, I cannot stress how critical that is at this time. Um, as far as patients that have been coming in, we have seen a lot of high numbers, um, and there is some serious concern because there is a lack of PPE, which is uh, personal protective equipment is what we call. It's our masks. It's our gowns that we have specialized to keep the droplets. It's the PAPR machines that help create a different airflow so that we can be around somebody who has a positive COVID right. test and not get exposed ourselves. hopefully. However, there is um, a great need for more PPE in, in all of our hospitals. Can I ask you a um, quick, I'm just going to jump in and ask sure. you a quick listener question here. Um, Kathleen Hyman wanted to know what your take is on people being encouraged to sew masks at home for healthcare workers and whether that what she calls can do spirit is in somehow is some way replacing a systems approach at a higher level. You know, I don't want to criticize anybody's idea of thinking out the box out of the box right now because that's where we're at. Um, unfortunately, that is something that we cannot use. The data has not really supported that they will give us the proper coverage that we need. I do wonder, however, if um, for people who are not right in the face of somebody doing something that gets the droplets on them, if that would be beneficial to other people in the community who are still having some exposure, but maybe not the same degree of exposure. Um, I don't know if the data reflects that, but I imagine that might be something to look at. Sure. Something else to consider that might be helpful is uh, sewing of surgical caps to okay. keep our hair covered, because that's something that also is something of concerned that we could be carrying a droplet in our hair, touch our hair and then touch somebody else right. and spread it um, unintentionally. So there are still needs. Um, and at some point, at this point, we don't know if we will run out of PPE. Which is so and scary. So, 
Yeah. yeah. And I think what her question is ultimately driving at is a higher systemic response. And that kind of gets into a question about the oh, governmental yes. response. But I will just ask you before I get into that, if you can give us an idea on the latest on testing, because uh, I know that that is something that everybody's thinking about right now. Yes, yes. And so the testing has been grossly inadequate. I will not lie. It has been a real struggle to get patients tested and it comes and goes in the how many tests we have available. There's a lot of um, system issues and supply chain issues that we're having that are on more of a federal level. Mm-hmm. However, University of Washington came up with their own testing based on some of the WHO guidelines. And I do, I did hear just today that uh, I believe one of the Providence hospitals is coming up and having the ability to do rapid testing, which means that the results could be back um, theoretically in a couple of hours. I heard that from a physician I knew. That sounds very helpful. Providence. Yeah. Yeah, So if we could start that trend, it would really help us see the trajectory. Um, I know a lot of systems are also, uh, we don't have it currently available, but looking into antibody screening, and that's something called a titer test. And that's something that we've used in the past for like chickenpox or MMR to see if you've been exposed and if you have a level of immunity. So that's something that I think would be very helpful for us to develop as time goes on and people are starting to go back to the community to determine if it is possible that you have some level of immunity. It's not a sure thing because there's always chances of mutations like with the influenza Mm. uh, virus, but at least it would give us some potential guidance um, and data-driven guidance with epidemiology and kind of help us see how how we're going to fare over time with this. And I think it would also be very vital for people in your position too, because of course, uh, healthcare workers who have immunity, they're in a special position uh, and can can go back on the front lines uh, in, in a more effective way. Let's do shift over and talk about the COVID response at the state and local government level. I definitely want to get your take on that, because as we know, the fifth LD is in King County. It's very near the epicenter of the outbreak of COVID in North America. Give me your thoughts on the local government response here. Sure. I think we are really lucky to have outstanding leadership in our state. Governor Inslee acted so quickly and decisively to address this public health emergency, and he's been collaborating with local leaders like King County Executive Dale Constantine and our local public health leadership. Um, And because so many of our neighbors are following the governor's social distancing and stay at home, stay healthy orders, that really is helping make a significant difference in our state that some states are not going to have because some states are not implementing those um, those intense orders that are absolutely critical to get on top of this. Um, We have to protect people who are over 60 years of age, especially um, as well as pregnant women and other people with underlying health conditions, even as simple as asthma. Um, that could be a really big factor in how somebody recovers or doesn't. Um, so we also need to help protect the health system from becoming overwhelmed. There is a high risk of healthcare workers who may get infected because they don't have the proper protective equipment. And if we can't come to help save our neighbors and our communities, then it's going to have a real systemic effect of how other people are, are going to recover from this as a community. Do you have any thoughts about the legislature's response to all of this this year? And it's, you know, it's, it obviously is pertinent because you yourself are running to be part of the legislature. Did you see anything you liked slash didn't like about their response to this? 
I think with the information we had at the time, I think they did some amazing work. Um, I think what this really does point to the need for is that we are not funding our state and local pu public health system efficiently. Yeah. Washington State is known nationally for our strong public health leadership. However, we've been grossly underfunded in that sector for more than two decades now. And this crisis is really showing the need that we have to pub to fund the public health system so we can adequately adequately prevent and respond to these kinds of disease outbreaks. You've worked in nursing for most of your professional career, and so uh, people may be wondering why you decided to run for state senate. So why have you uh, decided to throw your hat in the ring? Yeah, there were so many different things that came into this. I started becoming active for patient advocacy and workers' rights some years ago. Um, and one of the big things that first got me into this was I actually had to take my hospital to arbitration just to get rest breaks about 10 years ago. And it was a big deal to get that. But we won and we had these amazing patient outcomes afterwards and our staff retention improved, which is a real big thing when you're looking at the nursing shortage. Yeah. So I started getting involved on a state level, going down to Olympia, giving testimony on my experience and how much better our system improved after that experience. Specifically, so started, nurses being able to get proper breaks yeah. just made them better better nurses. Exactly. And the data shows that patient outcomes improve significantly when a caricature caregiver is not fatigued or overwhelmed. So it makes a big difference. So I would go down to Olympia and give testimony. And um, subsequently, I became the vice chair of the Washington State Nurses Association Political Action Committee um, because I enjoyed that advocacy piece so much. And I got to learn what it meant to pass legislation with partners in the Senate and in the House. But I also came to find out what it was like to come up against lawmakers who were unwilling to listen and unwilling to even sit down at the table and have that conversation. And as I'm going to Olympia and doing this advocacy work, I started meeting other people who were having similar issues with the current state senator in my district. And it was the teachers and environmental groups and people who had a lot of the same core values. And so that started getting me active in the fifth LD, looking more at a, a local level and see what else I could do to maybe help at a local level, not just the state level. So I started becoming more active in the 5th LD and started meeting the most amazing people through door knocking and p members of the PCOs of the 5th. I started talking to indivisibles and found out that a lot of people had similar viewpoints that we were not being properly represented. And so as time developed, I just thought it was time for me to step up and go ahead and put my name in the ring. I have a lot of stakeholder groups and individuals who really want to see a change, see somebody who really represents their values. Well, the state senator that you are talking about is Mark Mullet. Uh, and so for those who may not know, he's a Democrat who served for eight years. You are also going to run as a Democrat. So why are you taking him on? He's consistently failed to represent our values and priorities. It's really a values check. His vote history shows that he favors big business and he's given them tax breaks, not held them accountable for environmental impacts. He constantly votes against the best interests of working families and our schools, our teachers, and that does not align with my value system. So I'm going to run against him for the seat. Yeah, you've said that you had, would like to educate people on his voting record, and you've, you've ticked off some items. Can you highlight a few specifics where you have disagreed with him? 
Sure. And there is on my website also at IngridForStateSenate.com a list of vote histories just from the 2019 vote um, that are issues that I think we need to look at. Um, and I will update that too with the most recent session. Um, but some of those are he voted against uh, wage discrimination for women in the workplace. He did not support the Long-Term Care Act for seniors. He voted against the 2019 budget. He was the only Democrat to do that. And by doing that, he he was saying that his values didn't um, align with getting $22 million of, of in-district money for special education and teachers and school safety and mental health programs. Um, he also has been um, a big opposition person for getting our rest breaks bill. He's also not been an advocate in areas that he needs to be an advocate. We don't need just people who are voting yes. We need champions for our issues. And I don't see that in him. I don't see him being a champion for environmental justice or our schools or our healthcare system. It gets to sort of a larger philosophical question on all of those matters. And specifically, I think one of the areas where I see a lot of divergence is in taxation. Uh, we don't have a state income tax, as people know. And I'm just going to toss you kind of a big question here, and it comes from listener Janet Carson. She asks, how could Washington State improve the way it raises revenues and creates budgets? That's a great question that I've I've thought about a lot. We have to start closing the tax breaks and corporate loopholes that have been put in place to benefit our wealthiest and large corporations. I am not accepting any corporate contributions because they have enough power in Olympia. I'm here because I want to advocate for nurses and teachers and the grocery workers and working families. And I think some of doing that is, is directly going after those loopholes so that other groups are paying, paying their fair share. You mentioned on your website that your priorities include strong education, clean environment, affordable health care, housing, jobs, uh, economic opportunity. Um, those things may shift after COVID. Uh, it may mm -hmm. turn out to be very transformative in terms of how we see those things. And I'll just ask you about a couple. In your mind, how do you think that it might change our approach to an issue like health care and potentially universal health care? Yes, I think this is finally going to get that subject out there in ways that some people thought they didn't need universal health care. So it is now the first of the month. A lot of people have not been working. And as of today, many working families have lost their health coverage. And next month, I imagine that number is going to skyrocket yeah. even more. So I think it's come to the attention, something that I've seen as a healthcare provider that many people are already dealing with not having health coverage. But now lots more people are going to be following that and being aware that having health coverage from our employer isn't maybe as secure as we once thought it was. And it, I think it really stresses the need for us as a government to reframe our approach and expand our existing benefits, make it more affordable for everyday people, and hopefully one day transition to something that is more of a single-payer system. At a state level, that wouldn't be my role, but I can absolutely advance for making, um, making expansions on a state level here, addressing the, the ridiculous cost of prescription medications and, and, and just access in general. Well, something that may be uh, at the state level and, and therefore in your purview would be some of the economic and employment challenges that we know are coming up as we come out the other side of this. How do you see us taking that on at the state level? 
Yeah, I think, again, we're going to have a, a big reframing. This pandemic is really highlighting the jobs that are critical to us in a functioning society. And honestly, many of those jobs that are often not given the respect that they deserve. Um, I think teachers is one that's coming yes, up for a lot of parents right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. You've probably seen the meme on, on social media that says true heroes of the crisis will be the teachers, grocery workers, janitors, and healthcare workers. That's right. And it's really true, <laughs> especially as everybody's trying to homeschool their kids. We have a whole new level of appreciation, myself included, as my... Son is uh, I'm I'm learning how to teach in a whole new level. It's mm. it's eye opening, but I also think it's showing uh, why we need a strong safety net. Key changes and investments are being made at the state and federal levels to ensure those who have suddenly lost their livelihood are able to stay afloat through this crisis. However, we need these protections right now in a big way. And many people in our communities need these protections to be there at other times when things go wrong, um, even when there's not a pandemic happening. And so I think we have a real opportunity to look at the basic essential needs and services and make a commitment to lead with compassion and ensure that we're taking care of our people and our communities. You are a first-time candidate, um, and even with all the challenges of being a first-time candidate, you're going to now Mm -hmm. have to run essentially during a pandemic. Um, (laughs) You cannot canvas. You can't do rallies. What's your game plan here? You know, in my background uh, as an emergency room nurse, I learned to thrive under chaos Mm. and stress. (laughs) So I think that's actually going to give me a huge edge on this, is that I am used to dealing with high-stakes situations in the worst of environments. So I have a great plan moving forward, and I think it's going to be good to have have my just coming to the table because I'm going to have that fresh perspective. I'm going to have a real strong digital presence. I'm going to do a lot of phone banking as though, and and my volunteers will, as though they're door knocking, but we're going to be calling people. And I think people are going to want to answer because they're, they're tired of being home. Um, We're going to do a lot of (laughs) postcard writing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also going to do a lot of online videos and forums. And some of it will be geared at, hey, I'm a candidate. These are things that I believe in. This is why I'm running. And some are just going to be outreach. Hey, I'm a nurse. These are things that I have found that might be beneficial to you in our community. Here's resources. And we're also going to start calling just our neighbors just to check in on them. See, how are you doing as a person? And is there anything you need? And as we find people in our community that are having needs, hooking them up with the resources that they need so that they know that I really am going to show up. I am here for you. I'm not doing this just for me. It's it's really to better our community. And I think that whole presence is something that will be really refreshing and something we, we desperately need right now. Well, you know, I, I was going to ask you earlier uh, how you your background as a nurse has informed your philosophy potentially as a candidate and as a legislator, but I think you just answered that. Um, you mentioned that you're not taking any PAC money, you're not taking any corporate money. How are you going to be funding your campaign? Another great question. So I I think that this is going to be an amazing grassroots uh, campaign. I have been just so excited with the amount of people who, even during this crisis, And maybe they don't have a lot of money. They are helping because they believe in the mission. They believe in the cause. And it is warming my heart unlike any other. Um, So even though I've only been campaigning for just about three weeks or so, I'm almost at $25,000 because people believe in this. 
And that is significant in this crisis that we're going through right now. And I think we need that hope, that reason. And I think we need a nurse in the state legislature to, to go ahead and moving forward. We are going to have a lot of recovery to do. We're going to have a lot of recovery with our healthcare system. Uh, there's going to a lot of be a lot of financial impact. Yeah. It's going to be a systemic thing. And that's something that as a nurse, I'm really good at looking at a holistic person. We don't just look at the medical stuff. We look at every impact that affects a person. And so that's going to help. I also have a great support of a lot of labor groups. Um, and while I yeah, have you've got really a number of endorsements that, recently, I do, and I'm very proud of it. So so far, I have endorsements for all of the healthcare uh, unions across the state, including Washington State Nurses Association, SEIU 1199. UFCW 21. I also have SEIU 925. And I also have the sole endorsement of the teachers, which I think speaks volumes. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all of that. And uh, you've mentioned you. your uh, information before, but give us your website one more time so people yeah. can go there, donate, uh, get involved. Oh, yes. I would love to. So it is Ingrid, I-N-G-R-I-D, for F-O-R, statesenate.com. All right, great. Ingrid, thank you so much, and uh, best of luck. Stay healthy and safe and all that. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to talking again soon. So we have a brief addendum to our interview. So on Thursday, the Seattle Times reported that there is construction going on at Mark Mullet's home right now, and uh, Ingrid's campaign released an email about it. And so I have brought her back on to discuss it and get her comments. Uh, hi again, Ingrid. Hello. So just briefly, what can you tell us about this story in the Times? So from what I read, it looks like there is a $80,000 pool being built um, at the senator's property right now, um, despite the uh, quarantine that's going on in the stay-at-home policy uh, that does discuss stopping all non-essential construction projects. I'm not a construction person. I can't decide whether a pool is an essential project or not. But I do think it's concerning, and I, I wonder about the safety of the workers who were there. Uh, along with some other things, I think it's particularly particularly shocking and certainly tone deaf, given the state of the world, but also not out of sync with the values he has um, that we've seen in his votes. And I think it's just simply time for leadership who personally understands the incredible challenges facing Washington families and COVID-19 victims right now. Have you gotten any feedback uh, since you put it out on your email list? Yes, I have a lot of people who are really concerned about about this project and whether the workers were being kept safe and why this was considered something that was allowed to move forward, considering that we do have a stay home, stay safe measure right now. That is very serious. Well, you know, speaking of that, you also mentioned in that same email that you had been in quarantine with COVID symptoms. This was something that we did not talk about in our interview. Um, I can imagine just how incredibly frightening that was. Uh, can you just tell us a, a little bit about your experience and, and how are you doing now? Yes, thank you so much for asking. So as of now, I'm doing much better. I am still have some cough and I don't feel 100%. Mm. Um, but I was sick pretty seriously for about three weeks with really significant shortness of breath. I lost hearing in an ear. I had really uh -huh. bad fevers. I had vision problems. 
um, extreme headaches, uh, photophobia, which is sensitivity to light and sounds I was also having problems with. Um, and the shortness of breath was was really remarkable. I have no respiratory history problems, but this was profound to the point where um, I couldn't walk upstairs. It was hard to lay down at night and sleep. Um, and it was it was scary, but I've I've rounded the corner and um, I'm feeling much better. Thank you. Good. Well, so I believe CDC guidelines are two weeks in in quarantine when you have symptoms. Is that correct? It is. And and currently, if you are a known positive COVID patient. They want you to be asymptomatic for at least 72 hours, hmm. um, complete of, of all symptoms before you return to the public. Got it. Are you there yet? I am. I okay. am. Well, I, I want to wish you the best, and I, I thank you for coming on and, uh, and giving us your, your commentary, and I'm glad to know you're feeling better. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ingrid. And that will do it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.